0: Welcome back, Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. This is John Pielli. I want to thank Billy Staples for the first hour of the show. I think we hit on a lot of great things. And really what I I enjoyed about that interview the most was the fact that, you know, me me and him are kind of similar when it comes to wanting to interview people. When we interview people, we don't want to ask the same standard questions. We want to be out there trying to say the same things that everybody else says over the you know, the course of time and stuff like that. And to me, it's, it's about, it's about drawing interest. I mean, you know, you, you're out, you're out there. I mean, you know, a guy who does this, this, and this, you know, is probably tired about answering questions about this, this, and this. And to me, it's just, you know, one of those things that, you know, I got to, uh, you know, I, I really got to touch up on, but, uh, I'm just going to take a quick 30 second break. We're going to have Pedro Borbone on in the second hour, Jose Silva, stuff like that. So, uh, be back in about 30 seconds. Welcome to MTRRadio.com. You can listen to our live programming Monday through Friday. Get your voice heard by calling us at 609-910-0687 and on Facebook and Twitter at MTR Radio. Thanks for tuning in to MTRRadio.com. Check out the Android Marketplace and iPhone App Store for the MTR Radio app. 24-7 streaming live and on demand. M-T-R. All right, Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. This is John Pielli, hour two of the radio program. Thanks a lot for taking a couple minutes to tune in today. Let you, I'm going to kind of take a couple minutes before uh, Pedro ends up joining us, probably about 6.15. Um Really, uh one thing I wanted to get into with Billy, unfortunately, and I didn't really get to, but we wanna promote his book a little bit, Billy Balls about the two thousand nine Philadelphia Phillies team, really from A to Z, from the beginning of the off season and spring training to everything that ended up coming out, you know, with the season and how it played out. The Phillies coming off of the World Series championship and the confidence they had and yeah, you know, really the way everything ended up playing out. You know, the Phillies were the favorites going into that season, particularly after getting back in the playoffs and making it back to the World Series. And he really gives you an in-depth, you know, perspective. It's really not talking about just the Phillies and, you know, what they did and stuff like that. It's, you know, interactions with different players and stuff like that. So if you get a chance, check out his book, Billy Ball, about the two thousand nine Philadelphia Phillies. Um, the Mets coming off of a very good series against the Tampa Bay Rays. They end up sweeping the Rays, kind of making their, you know, what was a terrible road trip into something special. Now you come off a series where, unfortunately, the Yankees really came clicking on all cylinders. They're playing very good baseball right now, and you kind of caught the Yankees at the wrong time. And after losing two or three to the Nationals, they get swept one and five on a nine-game road trip. Definitely did not look good. They took their way into Tampa, and they ended up really showing up. And I think they really answered the call of their manager, which they've done all season. And I think that's why you got to be excited about this team, why you got to enjoy what you see on the field on you know a day-in and day-out basis, is the fact that they really – they this is a team that tries hard. I mean, you even look through the couple games against the Yankees where things didn't really go too well. You know, the, the Saturday game and the Sunday game, there, there were games they could have won. And, yeah, the fans are going to be upset. They're not going to be happy. They're a little upset about you know with John Roush giving up the home run to Russell Martin, which was his second of the game. But the reason they're mad is because they were in it. They were, they had every chance to win that game. And I understand the stakes get a little higher for some fans. And I, I don't get it. I honestly don't. I think a game against the Yankees is the same as a game against the Miami Marlins or the Milwaukee Brewers or the San Diego Padres. To me, it's all the same. It's one out of 162. The bottom line is to win as many of them as you can. Every team's going to win 60. Every team's going to lose 60. It's what happens in the other 40 games. Whether you're going to be incredibly over 500 in the other 40 or incredibly under or play 500, which a lot of teams do. But the bottom line is it's not about any particular opponent. And I think Met fans are really guilty of this a little more than Yankee fans is they make the met yankee games out to really be something that they're not. It's not a rematch of the 2000 World Series it's a game out of 162 and looking back at it it's six games in the season hopefully in my opinion it gets switched to either four or two next year which hopefully is going to happen but it's a series of games over the course of a full season and you can't really get too bent out of shape over it you know the Mets and, and the Mets kind of proved what it is it's just a game you know, three games against the Yankees, yes, the Mets lost all three, but it's not the end of the world. And Mets fans, some Mets fans, <clears throat> I'm not going to speak for all of them, but some Mets fans really think thought it was the end of the world this weekend. How, you know, Johan Santana th- coming off of a no-hitter, he ends up getting beat up. He obviously didn't have good command of his pitches. Not just the Yankees beat him, but any team would have beat him the way he was not locating his pitches. When he throw a fastball down the middle, Robinson Cano or Brian Bixler, is going to hit the ball out of the yard on you. It doesn't matter who it is when you don't have your stuff and you have to rely on fastballs right down the middle of the plate. You know they followed it up with a couple close games that could have gone either way. But the Met fan that was thinking it was all over, that was saying, "Oh, that's it. We can't beat the Yankees. It's time to give up." Was proven to be the fool that they are, and that's that's what you are. You're a fool if you think that any three game series over the course of 162 is going to tell whether a team can compete or not. And this is a team that competed in this series and showed really the makeup of its manager by coming to Tampa for the final three games of this road trip and showing up. They definitely showed up. They beat they beat the Rays 11 to 2, you know, 3 days ago. They won yesterday's game 9 to 1 behind RA Dickey who may or may not have thrown a no-hitter, and that's something I'll segue into in a minute. And, of course, they win this game 9-6. to six. They beat a first-place type of team, who obviously isn't in first place anymore since the Yankees keep winning, but they beat a high caliber team, a very good team, three games on the road. And as they sit at six games over five hundred right now, they proved they could compete with teams in this league. And where they stand in the standings, whether they could pass the Braves or not and move into second place as they're trailing the Washington Nationals who are on fire right now. This is a team that could compete. And if you're a Mets fan and you don't feel that right now, then you're missing something. You really are. Now going back to Dickey yesterday who was obviously masterful in his complete game victory. Here's something that I don't want to hear. I don't want to hear about the Mets' appeal of the scoring on the base hit by B.J. Upton in the first inning. It was a ball that... You know, it was up to you, the official scores to make a call on whether it's the first inning, whether it's the ninth inning. The call's got to stand. If you're not going to overturn the game that Armando Galarraga pitched, where the umpire clearly, Jim Joyce clearly missed the call and cost the guy a perfect game, I'm not accepting a reversal by Major League Baseball that's going to give our. I'm sorry. I don't want to hear about it anymore. I hope that Joe Torre and Major League Baseball understands that this is a judgment game. This has a, been a judgment game for 150 years. That it's not about going to the you know replay of something. It's not going to back back to a play and saying, should we change the scoring of it? Should we change the call to out to safe? It was what it was. It was an infield hit by B.J. Upton. Could it have been scored an error? Sure. And if it was scored an error, then R.A. Dickey would have had to go through the grueling Seventh, eighth, and ninth inning of a game where he has to be feeling a no-hitter. And he didn't have to do that. So what's to say that he would have gone through the remaining eight innings and not given up a hit if he knows he hadn't given up a hit yet? So this would be a cheap thing. Listen, I don't want it as a fan. If R.A. Dickey's going to pitch a no-hitter, he's going to have to go out there and do what Matt Kane did last night, throw a perfect game. You know, throw a game where there's no hits, no runs, no doubt about it. I don't want anything that's going to be changed. I mean, you have to hear enough crap, and and I know it's mostly because of haters, but uh, do I have to hear enough crap about the line drive that could or could not have been called fair by Adrian Gonzalez in a in a Santana no hitter? Do I want, do I have to hear about how it's an asterisk? No, because it happened. It was a no hit, no run game by the way the game was scored. And to me, that's, that's nothing. To me, that is what it is. It's a no-hitter. There's nothing that anybody can do to take that away from Johan Santana and the New York Mets, the fact that they finally have a no-hitter. So it doesn't work in reverse. It can't work in reverse. A guy that throws a no-hitter has to feel the grueling effects of going through, whether it's seven, eight, nine innings of not giving up a hit, and whether you admit it or not, whether you want to acknowledge it or not. It's a matter of the feeling between yourself. The feeling of knowing what's going on. Our, what Ari Dickey last night did is he pitched innings two through nine knowing he gave up one hit. And to switch it to a no-hitter would be an injustice to baseball. And I'm saying this as a Met fan. I'm saying this as a, as a fan that could not see enough no hitters thrown by the New York Mets. I would love to see 20 more. I would love to see another one this year. But I do not want to see major league baseball change the scoring of a base hit to an error to give R.A. Dickey a no hitter because it's anticlimactic. It's not it's not a big deal. It's not living the moment that the Mets players and the organization and the fans all felt when Johan Santana entered the ninth inning giving up zero hits. That did not happen in the R.A. Dickey game yesterday. And it was a fabulously pitched game. He looked as good as possible. The Rays hitters seemed, for the exception of one at bat by Matt Joyce, where he got a couple good swings at it, he he had it. He was that good. Yes, he could have thrown a no-hitter, but he didn't. And I think the quicker we all forget about Whether that should have been a no-hitter or not, I think the better off we'll be. And let's focus on the way the team is playing. Focus on the way the team battled back after getting swept by the New York Yankees and took on a top-caliber team that's competing with the Yankees on a day-in and day-out basis. The Tampa Bay Rays, who are not bad at all. And the guy that ended up pitching the best in the series was not David Price. It was not Jeremy Hellickson. It was Alex Cobb who didn't pitch too badly going into the sixth inning of the first game, they beat up David Price. They beat up Jeremy Hellickson. And they showed they could compete with anybody. And there's no reason to to take that away for what this team has done. They're six games over 500. i I'm not going to go crazy. I'm not going to say that they're winning a World Series. I'm not saying that they're even going to have enough to compete with playoff-caliber teams in August and September. But what I am going to say is this is a good team. And this is a team that's fun to watch. And if you if you don't see that, then you're really not seeing anything. But I'm going to come back in a little bit. I'm just going to take a real quick break, probably not be too long. Passball Show, MTR Radio Network, be back in a little bit. Welcome to mtrradio.com. You can listen to our live programming Monday through Friday. Get your voice heard by calling us at 609-910-0687 and on Facebook and Twitter at MTR Radio. Thanks for tuning in to mtrradio.com. Check out the Android Marketplace and iPhone App Store for the MTR Radio app. 24-7 streaming live and on demand.
1: M-T-R-
0: oh yeah passball show mtr radio network a part of hour two of the radio program will be followed by the carlucci show which comes live At 7.05 until 9 o'clock tonight. Uh, This past weekend, I got the opportunity not to check out the subway series between the Mets and the Yankees. But I actually went over to Trenton and caught some double-A action. I saw the Trenton Thunder, who represent the New York Yankees, against the Binghamton Mets. And a couple things really struck out to me. The Mets' minor league pitching is really not that bad. Particularly the starters. I actually saw a pitcher that pitched in the first game of the series by the name of Gonzalez German or Germain or however you pronounce it, go out there and throw seven solid innings and really looked like he had some decent stuff. And he was followed by, you know, a couple other pitchers, Darren Gorski, the left-hander, and uh, Greg Peavy, who was kind enough to join me on the pass ball show early in March, and even at the AA level, it's not all about Zach Wheeler. The remaining part of that rotation really does not look bad at all. And you got to be impressed with what you're seeing there, not only at the AAA level but at the AA level. they got some young pitching, and it's some pitching that we really don't think very too much about. But I'll get back to that in a little bit. Right now we're going to be joined by uh, former pitcher for the Atlanta Braves, that's Pedro Borbone. Pedro, John Pielli, Passball Show on TR Radio Network. Thanks for having a couple minutes today.
2: How you doing?
0: Hey, not too bad, man. First I want to send my condolences to your family and the loss of your father.
2: Well, thank you very much. Everybody. I really appreciate
0: that. Hey, listen, man, you 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 ended up having a, a fairly decent career yourself. You pitched for the you know for the Braves at the beginning of your career. Uh what was what was really your your best moment playing? You know, as as a pitcher, as a relief pitcher. Yeah, you, know, you ended up pitching for the Blue Jays and stuff like that. What was what was really your best moment pitching in the major leagues?
2: Well, uh, honestly, the the best moment for any any athlete is the, the day that make it to the big leagues. You know, it was uh, 1992, and I was um, you know I, I think that was uh, that was my best moment when I stepped on that mound and I uh, realized that I accomplished my dreams. But after that, you know, winning the World Series in '95, I think that that topped it all you know, and also getting a save and doing that series against against the Cleveland Indians. I think that was the highlight of my career.
0: Yeah, absolutely, man. And there's nothing more special, I think, than, you know, know, getting that feeling like you accomplished something. And I'm sure, you know, throughout your life, it was a goal to make the major leagues. Now, was there ever any doubts in your mind of whether you would make the complete – transition you know as you were drafted through to minors and to actually make the major leagues was it or was it something you were confident was eventually going to happen
2: no honestly i was um i was drafted out of high school in the 35th round and uh they basically believe it or not they offered me a plane ticket in the a, in the a, in a baseball club <laughs> so i decided to go to junior college and uh and I got drafted on the supplementary draft by the Dodgers and uh, they, you know, they were real high on me but then I got hurt. So my, my career basically it was uh it, it took a lot of work to get to get up there. A lot of people thought just because I was a uh, they were bone son that I was gonna you know, that I I had the hook up like we said, to, you know, to get to that level. And um Honestly, you don't get to that level unless you put the hard work in, and you gotta compete against uh, millions and millions of players. Because you're not just competing against guys in the minors; you're competing against people all over the world that are trying to take your spot. So, you know, anybody that makes it to the big leagues, uh, you know, um, I consider them. Uh, I consider that a big accompl- accomplishment. I mean, it's as hard as uh, hitting the lotto. You know, it's just, uh, you know. Um, it's something special, you know. Baseball is uh has been special in my family, and and um it takes a lot of work, man. Uh, I mean, you just cannot just wake up tomorrow and say, you know, uh, I'm going to be a big leaguer. And you know, there's this moments that you have doubts, you always do, but you know that if you put in the hard work, something is going to happen. But it's a matter of luck also.
0: Yeah, it definitely, it definitely is. I mean, you know, you're in there, and uh, like I think what a lot of people don't realize is you're you're really go into a pool of so many different players and the competition level at you know even the lowest level is probably as high as you could imagine it's not like you know it's not like you're in the NBA where you get you get drafted and you you're up with a uh, a group of maybe five or six people that may be cut there are there are, you know you know tens and you know sometimes even hundreds of players that get cut in organizations every year now yes right now, compare. You know, like how do you how do you feel when it comes to you know you, you you get drafted, you're you're in there, you're up with all these other players. What do you feel you have to do to stand out, as opposed to just you know going out there and doing your thing?
2: Numbers, numbers speak by themselves. Okay, numbers and uh, and uh, I think uh, your work ethic also is uh, is a factor. Um, but I think numbers, you know, you can, you can't deny numbers, you know, but, uh, that also depends what if the organization believes in you and, and they think that you're going to be, you know, um, you know, a, a a big leaguer and they don't not thinking about, you know, anybody could get to the big league for a week or a day. It, you know they're projecting you as being a you know a stable big leaguer, but it, um, it, I think the numbers is a factor, and also you know how you know how committed the organization is with you because there's always another guy that comes that is throws harder than you, um, as a pitcher, or is a better athlete, or got drafted. Higher, way higher than you, because you know when I signed, I signed for five hundred dollars. Believe it or not, I have more wow. in my pocket than when the scout gave me. <laughs> so it's for them to say, "Hey, pay to back your stuff, go home, and you know work at a at a factory," it was no big deal because it was no investment.
0: Yeah, and then really from their end, it really is no investment, and they and they go through, and I'm sure they have tougher decisions to make when it's you know guys that they have more faith in and end up paying more money to. But you know, if, if if you're at the lower level and you're not much of a of a uh, you know financial risk to them, they could just let you go like that. So it's got it's got to be a feeling of probably having to, you know, maybe outperform some of the guys that are up there with a little more of a of a of a track of a track record and stuff like that.
2: Yeah. Um. And it depends on your position. You know, I was fortunate that uh, you know, I'm I, uh, I I was a left in the pitcher, and I was you know I was pretty effective against lefties. And uh, you know, been, the name maybe attracted some. You know, some you know people will look at the name and go, okay, you know, he has the, he has the, the genetics. And um, but at the end of the line, you know, my dad wasn't out there pitching for me. He wasn't out there running for me. He wasn't out there going through all the struggles. So. You know, uh, I mean, Clemente has kid, had kids. I mean, I uh, know a lot of big leaguers that had kids, and they never, never played the game, and they never really had the desire. My son didn't have the desire. He's uh, he's in the Navy right now, serving the country.
0: And um, you know,
2: it's just one of those things that either you committed 100%, or, or there's not a way, there's no way that you 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 will be able to even get to the AAA A level if you don't commit 100%. And you lose your family, you lose. Uh, You know, you're basically uh, in a bubble, you know, uh, you live, life is a, you know, it's kind of different, you you know, you don't have a a steady home and you're traveling and living from apartment to apartment.
0: Now, as you're, as you're making a track through to minor leagues, was there, was there any time that you, you actually maybe didn't think that this was going to work out or were you fully understanding that someday you were going to make the majors?
2: Well, I was confident that I had the uh, the talent to to make it up there, but I also knew that it was just a matter of a, a couple of bad outings or or a bad year before I was uh, let go. So every game, every inning that I pitched, it was uh, it, believe it or not, it was under stress. Uh, you know, it was mentally stressful until I got you know I got to the higher level and I realized, okay, you know what, I am good enough. And, no, and even if they let me go, somebody else is going to pick me up. But as you come into the lower levels, I mean, honestly, um, there's not too many people watching, you know. But when you get to double-A, triple-A, now you, you know, and, and if you're on the 40-man roster, or, or you will become a, a prospect, which I was always a suspect, which is a big difference, you know. Um, we call suspect. That's what I was. Maybe he'll make it. Maybe he won't. A prospect, somebody that the organization believe in, and no matter what he does, he could, he could go into a slump for a whole year, and they still say, "Oh no, but he's gonna make." it. And sometimes it, it turns out that way, but I tell you what, I think 70% of the time, when a guy is a suspect, um, he's not gonna make it to the, even to the higher levels of the minor leagues.
0: Yeah, and I think it also has to do with you know teams, and, and you, you kind of touched on it a little bit, you know, organizations that may have a little more faith in one person than another. Like did you ever did you ever have an outing where let's say you got roughed up in the minors and maybe you went you went home or you went back to the hotel that day and be like, hey that might this might be it.
2: Well, I wasn't. I never had those streaks when I was in the lower level. I basically kind of dominated the lower level, but when I when I went up to you know to double A, I wasn't on the roster, and uh, I remember a couple of times I had you know a kind of rough week, and uh, um, I would come home and. Basically, I hate to say, it, destroy the whole apartment. So yeah, it was so, it was frustrating because you feel like you put out all that time and work, and just because uh, you're having a bad week, in the back of your mind is like, mm, you know, might be the the year that I'm gonna let the get, let let go. But once you realize that you are good enough, and you see the competition that you're facing, and you see the guys in the big leagues are not that not much better than you. Um, it's all a matter of confidence. I was always a confident um, person about when I got stepped on the mound. But once I got out of the mound, I just became a regular person without. So, um, you know, when was my day to either go to the big leagues or or the day that they were going to tell me, Hey, go home.
0: Now, looking back at your career, was it everything that you had hoped for as a major league pitcher? Did you feel like you accomplished all your goals?
2: I accomplished my goals of uh of, of you know, of, of playing in the big league close to nine years, you know, uh um being on a team without having to try for a team being you know, being stable, you know, um, financially and also stable on a big league team. But no, if I could if I could go back I would have done a lot of things different. I would have. I would have took care. I, I would have took better care of, uh, of my body, especially at the end of my career. And I believe that if I would have done what I was doing when I was, um, I would, you know, when I wasn't established, I would have. Just, I would not be on the phone with you right now. I'll be, I'll be with on Jamie Moore still pitching because my arm is still, it's still, it still work. So, You know, I run a baseball academy here in Houston, and I throw every day. As a matter of fact, I'm. I just driving back from the academy. So my arm works like uh, like new. It just doesn't have, you know. I mean, I'm I'm not in, in in the shape that I that I was, and there's no way that a 45 year old is going to step out there and go, "Hey, I want to come back." And once you're out of it, you're out of it.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely, man. And now now going back to you know, obviously, you came around and uh, you joined the majors in 1992. As you're kind of developing as a major league pitcher, you get hit with the uh, you know the strike of you know 1994 1995 how how did that impact you was it was it a situation where you felt like there was more competition with the thoughts of potentially being replacement players or was it some something that was an easy process once they were get back they they got back into playing you know you just kind of resumed business as usual
2: well that year I, I i actually um i was um it affected me a lot financially you know I was at home there was no spring training uh, i was you know I was actually living with some in-laws, and uh, every day it was a grind. Every day, you know, I'd look, I would look at ESPN, see when this thing was gonna end. And that was the year that I had a chance to go to go to um, to uh, sprint training with the Braves for you know for the for the first time. What a what a chance to make the team, and um it made it made everything harder on me because I had to compete against five guys. We all got you know called up to the big leagues, but I had to compete against five guys, and they were you know they were all prospects. And, um, but I did it, you know, I think it pushed me, but I also, you know, the strike gave me the opportunity to compete at the big league level instead of competing in the minor league level, because nobody knows what I could do against the big leaguers, but I went up and I had, um, I had a good run and I beat everybody. So, you know, it it, get, it, it was hard, but it gave me the opportunity to make the team. Without the strike, I would have never made it to the big so I don't believe, um, it, it would have been a little bit harder.
0: Okay. Now it, it, you kind of went from that, from the uh, you know the uncertainty of whether you're going to be in the major leagues, to of course the euphoria of winning a World Series championship in 1995. Tell, tell us a little bit about you know that season, how it planned out, and you know really what it felt like to pitch in a postseason and eventually being on a team that won it all. Well,
2: and, um, honestly, it was, uh, it was it was a great experience because I, I, I was you know able you know with. Uh, Maddox, Smoltz, Glavin, Merker, Avery. I mean, these are guys that are, you know, the three of them are going to be Hall of Famers. So playing for the Braves, it was kind of hard, especially as a reliever, because, I mean, you will go, they will go and tell Maddox, okay, Maddox, you know, Tony Wynn is coming out. We're going to bring Pedro. And Maddox will go, oh, I got him. Don't worry about (laughs) it. I mean, how could you tell Maddox, no, Pedro's coming in? Yeah. So, it made, it, you know, it made it harder. And I think if I would have been with another organization, I would have came out to the Big Leagues a little, um, a little sooner. But, you know, I was a starter in the minor league. They threw me into the pen. But, you know, I'm serious. I, I always said, you know, even if it is being, being a bad boy in the Big Leagues, I want to I wanna go where, where I belong. And I always felt like I belong there because that's where I grew up in the Big Leagues. So that year, it was interesting, you know. I mean, I did my job, I think, uh, extremely well. Compared to what they were expecting from me, and you know, I would go six, seven days without picking up. I mean, not stepping on the mound, and for some for some reason, I just get, you know, every time I came in, I did my job, and I remember in, in uh, the in, in the wild card series, I faced Colorado, struck out the side, even though it was a one sided game, and I didn't pitch through the whole Cincinnati series, but the time I got to pitch in the World Series, I had 21 day without stepping on the mound. And I was angry, and I went out there with that anger, and I took it on the hitters. So, you know, I ended up striking out two guys and uh and getting a fly ball and and getting a save because Mark Wallace that day was struggling. So that was really, really that the, the major highlight of my career when I was able to look to Bobby Cox and, and tell them, and tell him basically, you should have gave me the ball a long time ago. We would not be in this mess. <laughs> That's exactly what I told him, and he started laughing and he told me you are just crazy. So. <laughs> It, it was, uh, you know, those sort of type of things that that stick out in my mind. You know, They're just the just the the pleasure of letting people know, hey, I'm better than what you thought I was.
0: No, absolutely, man. Now, now you compare it now because the game has changed. The game obviously changed from when your father pitched to when you pitched to even the way the games are now. <laughs> now, now, you know, because of you know guys like Tony Larusa, the the specialists have really made their way into the game, and obviously they were prevalent a little bit when you pitched. But it's become that much more of a big deal of needing you know five six guys in a bullpen as opposed to just a couple. Now, what would you, how would you feel you would you would have pitched now? Do you think you would have had more longevity, maybe a chance to pitch a lot more seasons where you pitch you know eighty games stuff like that? It, it, what do you think about the difference between now and how it was when you pitched?
2: Well, when I came in, that's exactly what what it was going on. You know, I was uh, I became from you know. Uh, A guy who come in for an inning to a guy who just come in for for uh, uh, one or two hitters depends who was in the middle uh, of that inning. Um, I I cherish that job. That's a that's a great job, man. You know, to know that you you come to the park every day and anytime Barry Bonds is on deck, um, that's my man. I got it. You know, that's my job. And the way I looked at it was if Barry Bonds hit a home run off me. It's not going to be the highlight on ESPN, and people are not going to make a big deal because it's Barry Bonds against Pedro Bourbon. Okay, what do you expect? But if I struck him out,
0: you'd I was a, a hero. You'd be on ESPN.
2: So I didn't have nothing to lose because if he had a home off I me, mean, it was like, that's Barry Bonds. He had 700. Okay, one more. <laughs>
0: As 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 a pitcher, who was who was the uh, the batter that you feared the most? Did you had did you uh, now you may not have had any fear at all out there, but was there one hitter that you knew was coming up that you know you you either wanted to go after with everything you got or you know, you really didn't want to come up in a certain spot?
2: Oh, I, you know it might sound arrogant, but um, when I stepped on that mound, there was not. Fear wasn't in my, in my vocabulary. Uh, the, you know, the, re, the reason I used to, you know, when I, they used to get roughed up a little, is because I threw, you know, in the low 90s, and the, but I throw I was throwing 100. In my mind, I was the best guy out there. And you know, um, I think 75% of the time, I, I did my job exactly the way I thought. But uh, no, I don't think I fear I did respect few hitters. I respect Barry Bonds, um, and you know, and I respected Tony Wynn. Obviously the top guys in the game, you know, I respected Jim Tomey. But, you know, as far as fear, no, I share the moment every time I saw him on deck I wanted to be out there. I wanted to go, you know, get him. And you know what? I got him most of the time, but when they got me, they got me good because they concentrate that much on me because Anytime I made it look stupid, they will come out there and they couldn't wait to hit one out of the park, and you know a lot of them did.
0: <laughs> no, absolutely, man. And Now you're talking like you know you had confidence, which you need to make it really in any 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 business, let alone Major League Baseball. But do you do you feel with this you know with this confidence, do you feel that you could have been a, a pitcher that could that if used differently, you could have gotten right-hand hitters out just as well as lefties?
2: Of course, I of course I I did that at the beginning of my career. What happened was I became a specialist. So by the time I see a Ryan, there will be sometimes it'll be a week, a week and a half. (laughs) So you know, I mean, I changed my routine. I became a fastball slider, and then when I see a righty, I was like, okay, what do I do with this guy? And I haven't faced righty in the last three weeks. (laughs) So they had the advantage on that, and and, you know, and I was real stubborn. I could have done things different, but uh. You know, just like my dad was, I was real stubborn. I was real fiery. And as a matter of fact, I don't know how the team kept me around because I was just a stubborn, stubborn person. And, uh, you know, it was my way or the highway, no matter who it was. But they put out with me because they knew I meant well. And, you know, when they gave me the ball, I did my job. That's what they care. Until the end that I stopped doing my job, then it wasn't funny anymore. It was like, okay, you you got an attitude, you got to go.
0: Yeah, and it's it's not PLA Pass Ball Show, I'm here with Pedro Bourbon. To when you were a kid, you know, watching, you know, did did you did you get a, do you have enough recollection where you got to see, you know, your father pitch at a young age and really get to absorb, you know, what it was like being a son of a major leaguer?
2: Of course, of course, you know, growing up around, um, you know, Joe Morgan, P. Rose, Johnny Bench, Dave Concepcion, Ken Griff, I could name them all. Um, you know, that's all we saw. You know, that, uh, baseball was every day, and you know, I, I never took it serious. Because uh, you know, I always thought you know I would never make it where my dad is. Seriously, I didn't start playing organized ball until I was 15 in high school in New York. I went to David Clinton High School. That's when I decided. That's when I decided to become, you know, to uh, to become a, a take baseball serious. So living, you know, being around those guys, even now when I see them, because now I work for a sports management group. And uh, you know, I managed to have several baseball players in the big leagues. Um, you know, going out to Cincinnati, and because uh, I represent all of this Chapman, so going over there and seeing those guys that play with my dad, and you know, and, and the you know the people in the clubhouse. I mean, it just brings chills to my to my spine. I mean, that's where I grew up.
0: That did you get a did you get a chance to enjoy with your father the uh, the championship se- uh, seasons of '75 and '76?
2: No, I was actually in Dominican Republic at that time because, um, you know, we used to go to Cincinnati in the summer, but in the winter we, we had to go to school. But uh, I remember um, listening to it on the radio because, you know, at that time there was no satellite going to Dominican.
0: Now now that would obviously make, your you know, the World Series championship you won with the Braves obviously more special than what you got to witness with your father. Am I correct?
2: Of course, of course. Yeah, you know, nothing nothing better than... You know then doing your own you know you never try to surpass your father but you you know you accomplish a a dream you know i I remember looking at a trophy every day in my house my dad's trophy and you know i I was always like my i I was like it must be great to have a ring and and have a trophy and then say that you're the world champion so when that happened i mean those, those was those were the happiest day of my life you know when we won the championship You know, I was never really that well-known. I mean, I wasn't the guy who, you know, people, because if you blink, I was out of there. You know, I would come, face one lefty, and that you out. You know, but that day I decided, you know what, let me go to the shopping mall and see if people recognize me. And I got mobbed, and I was (laughs) like, wow, this is how it feels like to be a a superstar.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, one more question before I let you go, man. Uh, How was it like playing for Bobby Cox?
2: It was a pleasure. It was a great experience. Uh, he's, I mean, out of all the managers that I played for, he was the best. I mean, he he knew he knew me well. He knew how to push my buttons without saying anything. He would just give me a look. That's what I remember about him. He'll, you know, he'll look at me and go Pedro, and I was like, okay, Bobby, I'll I'll relax, I'll chill. And um, he just knew. He just knows his player. He knew his player. He knew how to push him. Without yelling, without you know, without you know, discipline like little kids, he just basically gave you the look, and you were like, okay, you know what, I need to get myself straight. And he was straight shooter. He would never go in circles. He would just tell you exactly what he felt. It didn't matter if you didn't want to hear it or not. So, Bobby, uh, Bobby played a big part in my career as far as developing as a baseball player and, and as a and as a decent human being.
0: Yeah, listen. Bobby Cox will be in a Hall of Fame soon, so you know he's he's gonna get rewarded for everything he's done. Truly, one of the best managers I think that have ever ever uh, taken a dugout in Major League Baseball.
2: Without a doubt. Without a doubt.
0: All right. Listen, Pedro. Thanks for your time, man. And you know, hopefully, yeah, uh, you know, I can speak to you again soon. I really appreciate you coming on today.
2: No problem. Thank you for having me.
0: And no problem, man. Take care. All right.
2: Take care.
0: All right. That was Pedro Borbone. Um, you know, of course, uh, you know, best wishes to him and his family of the loss of his father, Pedro, who pitched for the Reds in the 70s, was known, you know, as a big pitcher for a big red machine. You know, whether it's, you know, 1975, 1976, winning a World Series. And, you know, a great thing, you know, being a second generation player, you know, it's got to be, you know, kind of a tough thing because you got to imagine where you, you know, are you going to live up to the expectations of your father? And, of course, I had Derek May on, you know, a couple of weeks ago. You know, his father was Dave May. He played before him. You know, there there is a lot of expectations because you're known. Your name is known. It may not be known to the fans, but it's known to organizations that you're the son. You're the, you know, the, the prodigy of a former baseball player. So they kind of expect to you, you know, whether the player was accomplished or not, to fit in their footsteps and i always I always really admired you know younger players who end up making the major leagues after their fathers because they're expected to perform at their level and you know like pedro just said it's not a, it's not a matter of you, know, you you're going to be you know you're going to make the major leagues because your father did i think it makes it even harder because the expectations are higher you know you're expected to have to do more than what your father did and, you know, to me, I mean, I, you know, you could admire somebody like that, you know, you know, a little, a little more because they have, in my opinion, higher expectations than they are of somebody else who may go under the radar and just be able to go out there. And in Pedro's case, you know, pitch, work your way up through the levels and just let the numbers do the talking, as, as he said, you know, it's all about the numbers down there. And if you have a couple bad outings, you could be out on the road and, you know, an organization isn't going to care. Whether your father was Babe Ruth, whether your father was Hank Aaron, that you know, there's a very good chance that you know you're not going to be part of the team tomorrow. There's you know tens and hundreds sometimes of players that are cut in organizations every year, and you know that doesn't really get looked at too much. It's just hey, you know, another guy. You know, if your favorite team is whatever, you say hey, they just released five guys. Those are those are five guys that had every expectation or every. Th- thought, hope, and desire to make the major leagues. And sometimes their fathers made the majors. Sometimes their fathers were, were just, you know, just did something else. But the bottom line is it's a competitive industry just like anything else. And sometimes, you know, these guys make it and sometimes they don't. But I really think that a player that has a father that was a major leaguer has it harder than a player that didn't. And that gets shown every day, every week where players get cut. Passball Show, John Pelli, MTR Radio Network. Once again, I want to thank Billy Staples. I want to thank uh, Pedro Borbone. Kind of what I was talking about before, and I and, and I touched on it a little bit, not really too much, but you know the you know the Mets and their minor league system kind of looking you know better than people think. And really, one guy that deserves credit for that, and maybe getting a little more credit now, is Omar Minaya. And Omar was able to do what. Not Maybe not necessarily get the job done as a general manager. He's going to be held accountable for the bad contracts he made, the bad moves he made, the fact that the Mets made it within a run of making the 2006 World Series to a team that didn't make the playoffs again. Yes, that's all going to be held against him. But who deserves the credit for all these young players going through the Mets' system? And trust me, it is Omar Minaya. He deserves credit for a Kurt Neuenheis. He deserves credit for even an R.A. Dickey, a guy who everybody laughed at. Everybody thought it was a joke when he was signed to a minor league contract prior to the 2010 season. You know, we all thought, we all laughed about it. I did. You did. We thought, what is this guy signing R.A. Dickey for? You know, it's not C.C. Sabathia. It's R.A. Dickey. They want a Jason Marquis. What's Jason Marquis doing now? And every one of these young players that comes up through the system, whether it's a Daniel Murphy, whether it's an Ike Davis, whether it's a Bobby Parnell, Jonathan Neese, and some of the guys they got at AAA and AA right now, you owe a lot of that to Omar Minaya. And I really think the guys should get some credit. You know, Peter Gammons made made a tweet the other day that, you know what, maybe the Mets organization should apologize to the way he was treated there because they essentially let everything that the fans and the media say and do dictate this guy's future now listen are the Mets will the Mets be where they are if Omar Minaya was the general manager I probably don't think so and I think you know at the time it was probably the best time to part ways with the guy you know at that time and you know unfortunately you know Omar does you know he ends up he's working with the San Diego Padres now and I think his knowledge of baseball and you know his talent level and his evaluating of talent is going to get him another general manager job. You know, fortunately, you know, his time with the Mets has come and gone. And, you know, it's it's, it's kind of a, you know, I think in my way, kind of a sad thing because a guy that really did do a little better than people think ends up getting a bad rap because you ask the Mets fan what they think of Omar Minaya. And, you know, for the exception of those who are thinking outside the box and realize what he's done now, you're not going to say that his time with the Mets was good because there was season... There was season after season, whether it was 2007, 2008, there was some time where you really thought that this team was going to be worth more. This team was going to win World Series championships, and it never happened. So that you know ends up with the end of the 2010 season, with both Omar Minaya and Jerry Manuel losing their jobs. And listen, it had to happen. It's over with. You know, you moved on to the Sandy Alderson regime, and now he's going to be judged with. Starting with guys like Brandon Nemo and Zach Wheeler, he's gonna be, you know, start to be judged as far as what happens with guys like that and what happens with the minor moves that he makes to judge the team that are that's going forward. And, you know, I think there's a lot of things that you know you could you could do to judge a man you know, a general manager or a manager. Right now, Sandy Olison looks good because the Mets are playing good baseball. And the Mets are six games over five hundred, coming off of a sweep of a team that was in first place in Tampa Bay. But, you know, I think time will tell where Sandy Alderson ranks as a general manager. If you're a Mets fan, there's no reason not to be pro-Sandy. There really isn't. Anybody that's anti-Sandy is kind of just a hater or maybe somebody that just wants to give a different opinion. But the facts say that, listen, this team is overachieving this year and the future looks very bright. So that bodes well for Sandy Alderson and his future with the New York Mets. I was talking about on my bases empty blog, and you can check that out on JohnPelle dot com. Um, I was talking the other day about Vladimir Guerrero, and my deal with him is: Why is he not playing for a major league team right now? And some people say, "Hey, he's done." How can you say the guy's done after he just hit two ninety, drove in six, hit thirteen home runs for the Baltimore Orioles? Yes, that was not a Vladimir Guerrero season of two thousand ten, where he hit three hundred you know, drove in 115 runs and hit 29 home runs for the Texas Rangers. That was not that level. And maybe it was a situation where Vlad was looking to get paid like that. I don't know. Maybe that led to him not getting a contract offer, similarly to Johnny Damon, similarly to Hideki Matsui, who are both playing right now. But Vladimir Guerrero is a 300 hitter for his career. He is a guy that has 2,590 hits. He's a guy that has 449 home runs. And he's a guy who was not, as of the end of last season, washed up. And that's my point. You don't let a guy ride off into a sunset coming off a season where they hit 290. Especially when they got something left in the tank. I know Vladimir Guerrero has had a history of injuries. And really wouldn't be worth very much to a team other than a designated hitter. Maybe a little bit of outfield work but mostly as a designated hitter player off the bench. I understand that. But the guy deserves the right. He deserves the right to come back there and get a chance to ride off in the sunset on his own. He deserves the opportunity that if he still wants to play, he should go out there for a team and be able to hit 220 and get his release in the major leagues. And that's what I don't think is a justice to major league baseball because I find it really odd. I found it really hard to believe that Vladimir Guerrero and Johnny Damon and Hideki Matsui were not worth being brought to spring training by a team. And I'm not just talking about the 14 teams in the American League. I'm talking about all of Major League Baseball. I'm talking about how how can you have 30 teams and not one of them have a valid contract offer to one of these guys. None of these guys – were proven to be done after the season. Am I going to throw the collusion word out there? I might. And I don't know what it is. Did, did the owners get together and all collectively say, we're not going to pay a designated hitter that amount of money? Or for us, a designated hitter is going to be an extra player that we have that's already on our roster? Are we not going to designate a certain contract or a, a term of a contract to a player that's just going to play the designated hitter role? To me, I have a hard time with that, and I really think there may – and I don't know. Is it a collusion situation? Listen, I, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm throwing a conspiracy theory out there, which is not going to rub some people the right way. But the way I look at it, I don't understand it, and I honestly don't understand right now why Vladimir Guerrero is not on a major league team. Now, he deserves the right, and like I just said, he deserves the right to hit 220-230 and be released but he deserves that right to at least do that. And he he has excelled when he's been healthy throughout his entire career. Throughout his entire career, he has excelled, whether it's the Montreal Expo days where he hit 40 home runs, whether it was that contract that he signed with the, the, at the time, Anaheim Angels and then the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. And when he was healthy, he was productive. And you could even say that last year with the Baltimore Orioles. Maybe the Baltimore Orioles were a little disappointed. Maybe Peter Angelos was upset that he didn't get his dollar value from Vladimir Guerrero. And that all may be true. But here's a guy who deserves the right to call when it's time to go. And he should not be finished playing baseball coming off of a 290 season where he drove in 63 runs. How many Mets drove in 63 runs last year? Check your stat sheet and figure it out. But Vladimir Guerrero, right now, unless he has some kind of injury that nobody's talking about, deserves the right to help somebody out. There's teams like the New York Yankees that may need a little depth. There's a team like the Boston Red Sox who out, you know, obviously they have David Ortiz but have no depth in the outfield. There's the Detroit Tigers that could use an everyday DH. Why aren't these teams inquiring on Vladimir Guerrero? And the Toronto Blue Jays, who are, have every right to think they could compete in the American League East, why can't they use him right now in the lineup? They don't have an everyday designated hitter. They rotate their designated hitter just like the Yankees do, whether it's Aaron Sebia, whether it's Encarnacion, whether you know you you put uh, Joey Bats in there for a little bit. They have a you know a, a rotating DH, but. Don't you think Vladimir Guerrero would make them better? Would wouldn't you think that he would give them more depth than they have right now? And the answer is yes. There is no other answer to it. It's yes. And I expect that this guy will sign with a team on a major league contract now that he's put up some numbers. Now granted, you know, he he went 9 for 20, hit 450 for, you know, single A Dunedin and then struggled a little bit going 6-for-26 with two RBIs for Triple-A Las Vegas. Now, 214 for 26 at-bats, to me, is not enough to say he's not a major leaguer. I think he deserved maybe he deserved more time. Maybe it was Vlad's decision saying, listen, I could opt out right now, and if I'm not in the major leagues, I, I want my release. And maybe that's what happened. But if that's what happened, there should be another team knocking at the door. And I really don't think that there's any reason I don't think that there's any reason at all why Vladimir Guerrero should not be playing for a team right now. But the bottom line is this. This guy, you know, is not going to go out on a 290 season. I think it's crazy. I think it's silly. I don't think it's right. And if there's any justice in baseball, Vladimir Guerrero will have a solid second half for an American League team and lead them to the postseason. Another thing I was hitting up, and I pretty much got about 30 seconds, the best pitcher on the market right now is not Matt Garza. Matt Garza, I think, is staying with the Cubs, and teams are going to be foaming at the mouth off of Ryan Dempster. Check out my post, bases empty blog, com, and tune in next week where I'm going to have some more special guests on a passball show, MTR Radio Network. I want to take a couple minutes to thank Billy Staples. I want to thank... Pedro Borbone for their time today, and we'll catch you next week. Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. Tune in to JohnPle.com.
1: So I say D, I say D-O, D-O-D, D-O-D-G, D-O-D-G-E-R-S, team, 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 oh, I say Oh, O-M, O-M-A, O-M-A-L, really, no, O'Malley, Sandy Colfax, oh, my Drysdale, Maury, Wills, I love you so, and we divide by the j-i-j-i-n-j-i-n-t j-i-n-t-s giants Levan! Orlando Cepeda is at bat with the bases jammed Orlando Cepeda with a one. Bam, he hit a grand slam in the very first inning, but it's only the beginning in the fight like a fight we get to one and away, then fairly hits into a double play. Here comes Big Frank Howard sirree. Boy what a swing! Strike three Odem B Odem buM B-U-M-S. Them bums, them bums, them dry bums. Oh, they may he be he bums, but they're my bums. Top of the fifth, say hey, Willie mays. Hits a three-bagger down the right field line. But he's out
2: trying to stretch it to a homer as Roseboro tags him on the bottom of the spine.